On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we have the return of an abuse survivor named Parker. And Parker was in a second abusive relationship with a petty emotional abuser. It's a story of love bombing, silent treatments, intimidation, competence, religious cults, support, and getting your voice back. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have the return of Parker. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you so much for having me back again. Well, thank you for being here. And if you want to be a guest like Parker is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. And there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. In today's episode, we do have a content warning as we do mention sexual abuse on this episode, and there's also a graphic description of a rage incident on this episode as well. And also, more than most episodes, Parker does recreate dialogue that happened between her and the abuser in this story, and that could be very difficult for many people to listen to, so that is your content warning there. So before we begin about the second relationship that you had when it came to dating an abuser, your first survivor story has just come out. So how did you feel about that listening to it? You know, you now being far removed from it and hearing your voice telling it. And you also got someone to be on the show. And we hadn't had a man in in a while. Uh, And a lot of people out there are happy that, you know, you were the one that was the instigator. Is that the best way to put it? I don't know if that's a good word. But you you, you got that ball rolling for us. and, And a lot of people appreciated that. So have you spoken to that person in the aftermath of, their story coming out and I guess how are you feeling about everything before we get into the relationship, uh, your, your second abusive relationship. So yeah, hearing my own story back, I think it was actually really empowering to be able to hear that back being in such a different place than what I was at while I was going through it. When I was going through it, I was a ball of stress for years and even years after with post-separation abuse. So being able to go back, being in a much better place, I think was really empowering. And then empowering by just the fact that I was able to share that story so that others get to benefit from it too. And then in hearing my friend's story that I was actually got to listen to it before he did. He sent it to me and said, 
hey, I haven't listened to this yet. I'm not quite ready. I need a few days. <laughs> but here you go. I knew quite a bit of his story, but not all of it. And so I was really proud of him for being able to share that story as well. It was also hard to hear some of those things that he had gone through. Um, when it came to my own story, I, for the most part, was good. But the part at the end where I talked about my kids and the effect that it had on them, that part was hard. That part brought some some tears <laughs> having to hear that. Although also reflecting on how grateful I am for the change since then and how strong of a relationship that I have with my kids, especially my daughter that was alienated from me. So for those of you that have no idea what we're talking about, just in case this is the first episode that you ever listened to and you didn't go back and listen to other episodes first, Parker here was our guest on the December 3rd, 2023 episode. And we recorded like six months before that. And I had forgotten. I thought I put your episode out and I didn't. So I apologize for that. So just a primer for everyone who hasn't listened to Parker's story yet, and we'll put the, put it in the show notes. Parker grew up, Jehovah Witness family, uh, Jehovah Witnesses, pretty much, uh, you know, very cultish in everything they're doing, patriarchal you know, uh, system. Elders are part of this world where they can really have uh, says and influence on your life. You were also uh, sexually assaulted at, at a very young age and had to deal with not getting the support from the community to the point where you're meant to feel terrible about what happened to you as if it was your fault. And then there was an abusive marriage and that marriage was so, was someone who was not a JW to begin with. They saw the world that you were about to re be a part of that construct for them. They were already being abusive and that construct for them really fit what they wanted in life. You know, that kind of construct. And then within your relationship, you dealt with all this abuse. You became a JW and eventually they used a suicide as a weapon, their depression as a weapon Relationship ended, parental alienation of you and your daughter when she was 13. Your daughter came back to you. Now we're going to discuss the relationship you had after all of this. And you've already been through a lot. So from what I just said, take it from here. After about a year and a half, our divorce went through. From the first marriage. And then not too long after that, I was disfellowshipped from the JW. So when that disfellowshipping happened, the way it works is if you're baptized and it's what they call a judicial committee and you have done something that they, you know, a, a disfellowshipping offense, then you have to meet in front of this committee and they decide your fate. So I'm sitting in front of three men and these men are asking me all kinds of questions. So I'd started dating somebody that was in the JW, as was I. And there was some fooling around. It didn't lead to sex, but 
they want to know every single detail right down to did you shave your legs so that they can decide if if you are repentant or not i had actually gone forward myself because you're taught to tell on yourself and you tell on other people because if you don't tell then you're guilty too or you're just living with this and god knows and you're gonna you gotta clean your conscience and it's really sick the, the amount of detail that they want so ultimately, we have this meeting, wait for them to make a decision. They bring me back in and they decided to disfellowship me. I did not want to be disfellowshipped. That meant I was going to lose all my family, my friends, my supports, everybody that's ever meant anything to me my entire life. And so now it's official and, and I have to work my way back if I want to see my family again. At this point, I'm still super indoctrinated, so I really, truly believe that if I don't do this, I'm going to die at Armageddon, which is just around the corner, and my kids are unbaptized, so they fall under me, and therefore, they will have the same fate. So I'm disfellowshipped. I lose all my friends, my supports. I'm working, so I'm starting to meet, you know, I'm meeting some new people. Prior to this, I'm very closed off because you're not supposed to associate with people outside of the congregation. But some of those friendships started to form now that I've lost all my supports. And I was working in a school, and so I got summers off, but unpaid. And normally I had enough work during the summer that I, I didn't need employment insurance. But this year it wasn't going to be as much, so I decided that I would apply for EI uh, to carry me through the summer. So I go in and they're only there on certain days, which I, I didn't realize. But in the same building is the provincial program for income support. So one of the staff come to me and they say, you know, like, hey, what can I do? What can I help you with? Told them there to apply for EI. Um, but I was looking at on on some of the shelves at some of the, the booklets and brochures that they had about going back to school to continue education. So he brings me over to his cubicle and he asks me about what those goals are. And I had been com contemplating social work. And so we talked about that. He said he would do some research and get back to me. I thought this was all within his role of what he does. He went beyond that role. He emailed me from his personal email account after hours with his information on school. These, this communication ended up leading to us going on a date. And then another and another and another. He love bombed me. I think there might have been one day within six months that we didn't see or speak to each other. We may have spoken to each other, but we didn't see each other. He wanted to get married. He had an abusive father who was abusive towards his mom. And so he spoke of a time that he had intervened when his dad was being abusive to his mom. And he would never be like that. So we dated and it was a bit of a whirlwind, like things happened very quickly. So six months after we started dating, we got married. It was like a shotgun wedding because who am I going to invite? We had each two friends that came. So on the day we're getting married, we're about to leave. And I said, hey, like you got everything, you're ready, you got your vows because we had agreed that we would write our own vows. And so he runs downstairs 10 minutes before we're leaving to go write his vows. His vows were fine, but it was much later that I realized the impact 
that that woman had. So he went from the love bombing to we get married and all of a sudden it is a complete 180. It is a different person. I don't know who I'm married to. So in, in order for us to get married, after, after I had left the first relationship and I'm working in the school full time, same hours as my kids so that I can be home when they're home, but my income is very limited. And so I was fortunate enough to get into social housing. So I had very reduced rent, which also included my utilities. Moving in with him, I'm now paying half the rent, which is significantly more than what I was paying on my own. In addition to that, because we moved in and got married, I lost a huge chunk of my child tax benefit that I was receiving. So my expenses are higher, my income is lower, but I'm paying way more for bills than I than I was. We were going to pay half each and that started to change eventually. I'd also started a new job when we first got married. So prior to our, us getting married, a job had come up at a at a women's shelter and I I wanted to be able to to get back. I had been looking at volunteering uh, and then this job came up. Part of the work that he does is he supports with resumes and stuff. So he had helped me create a good resume. And part of his work also means there's a connection with the shelter because there's mutual clients. So he knew some of the staff. So I get married, I start the job. And he starts telling me that I didn't get this job on my own accord and I would not have gotten it without him. It was because of him that I had this, this job. And then he's also stops paying bills. So he paid half the rent, but he stopped contributing to all the other bills in the household. We had an account that we would each put in half the rent and half the bills, and then a little bit extra for things that came up. So I'm paying all the bills other than half the rent. I'm buying all the groceries. He has ne had never <laughs> once gone out and bought a full grocery order. If I asked him to pick up milk while he happened to be at the grocery store to purchase groceries just for himself, it was a big deal that I asked him that to the point that I stopped asking. It wasn't worth the way he would make me feel for asking him that. Then he starts getting to the point he's putting me down. He's the final word on everything. He knows better than I do about everything. And even if he's wrong and there's scientific proof that he's wrong, he's right. One example of that would be leaving, leaving the milk out all night. It's okay. It's not going to spoil. It's not going to go bad. And we can just keep drinking milk that's left out all night on a continual basis. Washing dishes in hot water. He would always wash them in freezing cold water. No hot water. But he's right. And it doesn't matter. And, and it's not even like, like, I remember my son was arguing with him about it. And, and looked up, look, here, look at the WHO and what they say about washing your dishes in hot water. He's like, nope, they're wrong. He would start to go days without talking to me. So there's one time he was going days without talking to me. And I kept asking him what was wrong and he wouldn't tell me. And finally, after a few days, he tells me why he hasn't been talking to me for days. My son left his backpack out. That was it. And so I said, A, why didn't you tell me? But that's what was bothering you so much. B, did you ask my son to move his backpack and put it away? What bothers you might not bother me. So I can't know that it bothers you 
unless you tell me. And then we can make that happen. Or maybe just learn to be okay with something. And if I said something like, my kids are actually really good. If you had any idea what other kids behave like, you wouldn't care that a backpack got left out. That wouldn't be a big deal. And he would get angry and tell me, doesn't matter because I should have different expectations of my kids and I shouldn't compare them to other kids. Well, it's not like I'm comparing them to other kids in a bad way. I'm saying these are good kids. So we were, we were together during the time when I had lost primary care of my daughter. And so she goes to her dad's. She's there for two weeks and I get her every second weekend. So she comes back and he goes again and not doesn't talk to me for days. And I don't know why. And I'm asking and he won't tell me. And then finally, days later, he gives in and he tells me. He was angry at my daughter because when she came in the house, she went straight down to her bedroom and she didn't greet him. And so I asked him, did you say hi to her? Well, no. Well, where were you? He was laying on the couch watching TV and she had to walk past him to get to her room. And so I said, did you, did you make eye contact? Did you pause the TV? Did you turn your head? Did you give any indication that you expected her to greet you? Well, no, but it's her job to greet me. She should have done that. And he took zero responsibility and gave zero consideration to what she was going through. We are adults and she was 13. And I really don't think it's that terrible that she walked in the door and went to her room without going out of her way to greet somebody that what didn't acknowledge her. He's lucky she didn't walk in the door and tell him off <laughs> or give him attitude, which isn't something that my kids would do anyway. They were good kids. So then he starts going out and he would tell me, my friends don't need to be your friends. And he made it very clear that I was to have no part of that part of his life. And I'm not allowed to ask anything. He would just, he, he would just, he would get angry at me if I asked anything and say that I was controlling. So he's already giving you silent treatments when he is perceiving some sort of slight. He's you know, not paying bills and you moved out of safety as well and from your own place to his place. So there's financial abuse going on. He's calling you controlling. He also has to be right all the time. And you also mentioned that you met him when you were looking for continuing education. So did he attack you about that too? He would get mad at me because I was not educated enough. He was angry that I didn't go back to school. He was currently in school. He was working and he was taking courses. I'm raising my two kids. I'm working full time. I'm paying more than my share of the bills. I am struggling hard. He doesn't help me. And I asked, so are you going to support me? Are you going to help me in going back to school? I'm trying to raise two kids and look after a house, which he didn't contribute to. If he washed a dish, it was his dish. 
and he would refuse to wash anybody else's dish. I can't afford it. And I've got too much on my plate right now. Are you going to help me? Well, no, I'm not going to help you. You need to figure that out for yourself. But if you don't go back to school, then essentially I want a divorce. It was like I was an embarrassment to him. The other piece that had come up was I was reinstated as a JW. So when we were dating, I made it very clear to him that was my goal was to get reinstated. And so we discussed in great detail what that would look like because I, I was fearful that if he didn't fully understand what he'd be getting into with that, how much of my life that that would impact So like our regular meetings that we would have on a weekly basis, preaching, going door to door and holidays. So if I were reinstated, then that would mean like Christmas, stuff like that, that I wouldn't be doing. And so I made it very, very clear from the beginning, all of that. And we had lengthy discussions over it. And he was like fully supportive and fully on board none of those things were um, meaningful to him anyway. So then you would start bringing that up as him missing out on these things. And so I said to him, we had these discussions and you, you told me it was okay, that it was something that didn't actually matter to you anyway. And it wasn't important to you. And it wasn't something that you really did anyway. And if you wanted to do those things that you would, you know, go out and do with, do them with friends or coworkers or whatever the case might be. And he's like, yeah, I know, but I, I changed my mind and alluded to it as being, yeah, I said those things, but, and and they aren't that important to me yet. I'm still going to make a big deal of this. So even though it's, it's not important to me and it wasn't important to me, it was like, it was just something to create a problem of. So those were the main pieces, like the the education, the holiday thing that he actually didn't do prior to then anyway. Some of the little things with the kids and then the bills. When I brought that up later on, he said to me, yeah, I know I stopped paying my share. When did that start happening? I don't know, it's been so long. I have no idea. I really don't know. Please tell me. No, I'm not going to tell you. You need to think for yourself for once. And so I said, the way you speak to me makes me feel like you think I'm stupid. You think I'm an idiot. Well, I didn't say that. You did. So tell me, why do you think that you are stupid? Why do you think that you're an idiot? I said, no, I don't think that I'm stupid. And I don't think that I'm an idiot. What I'm saying is the way that you speak to me makes me feel like that's what you think about me. No, I didn't say it. You did. So tell me why you think you're stupid. You tell me why you think you're an idiot. I walked away and as I'm walking away, he gets up and he's angry. He's fuming and he punches the wall and starts yelling at me. You need to get back here right now. You don't walk away from me when I am talking to you. And so I said, 
you are essentially calling me stupid and telling me that I'm an idiot. And I don't need to sit here and listen to you talk to me like, I don't care what I'm saying to you. You do not walk away from me when I am talking to you. So I start walking back into the living room as I go to sit down on the couch. And he sat down on the other couch and I said to him, you know, when I walked past you, I gave myself a really wide berth instinctively because I felt like you could hit me. Ooh, I'm so scared. That's what he said to me. He starts mocking me. But then it may have been earlier in that conversation. I had brought up that he had changed literally since the day we got married. And his response was, I know. Do you know why that is? No. We go through the whole you need to think for yourself bit. But he did tell me on the day that we got married and he, I had asked about the vows and he ran downstairs to write his vows. Ten minutes before we leave, he said that in his mind, we had agreed to write our own vows. However... He expected that we were going to write them separately, but together in the same room at the same time. And I asked him, when were you going to tell me this? Ten minutes before we were leaving. That's when you went down to go write your vows. When I asked if you had yours. When were you going to communicate to me that that's what was on your mind? And he told me he shouldn't have had to. He shouldn't have to communicate it to me. He shouldn't have to tell me. I should have known that. And therefore, because I wrote my vows prior to 10 minutes before we got married, I was intentionally doing that so that I would have more time to put more thought into my vows than him so that I could show him up. You're, you're, for everyone who's listening, you're nodding because I'm nodding and because uh, I'm trying to figure out what type of person we're dealing with here. And when you saw the wheels in my head start going there, I think you started nodding that I started to really get it. It's the lit, it's these little things like he expects everyone to be a mind reader and that's not going to work. No one can read a mind. And then to sit on that belief that you try to one up him because he always needs to be, right or the smarter one and he needs to put you down and from that moment where he feels slighted whatever pedestal you could have been on you got knocked off real fast in that moment if that is the truth that that is the moment that everything changed and you got knocked off and that was the end of it right there and he was going to make you pay and then keep you guessing of what did I do wrong? Why are you being like this? Not talking about it. When you want to talk about it, try to make you feel dumb. Try to make you play a guessing game. Putting words in your mouth. And just trying to act superior in every single way as if you are beneath him so for his cycle 
of what he goes through and how he takes it out on you would be number one, he feels slighted for whatever reason it is based upon whatever trauma that he had and whatever he didn't receive when he was a child, whatever didn't get met, if he feels slighted in any way when it comes to that, which then goes into part two, which is taking out all of this onto you and does that in the form of silent treatments to make everything uncomfortable. He never got his needs met when he was younger. He wanted someone to take care of those needs. So he wants you to be and everyone else to be this mind reader, which is impossible to be. And when that doesn't happen, he then acts out again when these things are being talked about where he'll make you feel incompetent. He's now trying to, you know, put you beneath him and him being right and, you know, his injury and his trauma is taken over here. He doesn't see anything else from anyone's point of view but but his and you know, feeling powerful in these situations and making you feel bad about these things is what is, I guess, soothing him in these situations. But he's just reliving his own trauma and taking it out on you. And you're just an actor kind of in his play of these things being played out in these loops that are happening. So when you saw the wheels spinning in my head, I finally understood exactly. And for you, that must have been like, was that like a moment of like, whoa, like you saw everything? It's so shocking to be sitting in front of somebody that is claims to be smart, educated. And 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 don't get me wrong, there are like there are some things he was smart about, but to sit there and listen to him say these words and with such conviction that he is right and that this is somehow a normal thing to say to somebody or a normal belief that somebody should be able to not read your mind, but observe your environment enough to know what is on somebody else's mind. It was a bit surreal, I guess. Like, is this really happening? Did he actually just say this? Believe it with conviction because it's beyond anything that's sensical. And for people who are listening, usually I know a little bit about someone's story. Sometimes I know a lot about someone's story. With what's happening right now, I mean, I'm as flying as blind as you can go right now. I'm listening here to everything for my first time. So are you thinking to yourself, like, this is happening again? If you are, how are you feeling about yourself? 
absolutely. I was thinking, I can't believe this is happening again. How did he fool me like this? I thought I was getting something good. I got the jackpot. I thought I had somebody that was going to treat me well, treat my kids well. And that's what mattered to me the most. And it completely blew up in my face. And so I felt fooled. And and not only that, but then you also have the whole piece of the JW thing. (laughs) So I've already gone through an abusive marriage. And I did it while in the congregation. And all of the, the judgment and the rumors that floated around the congregation around that first marriage. Then I get disfellowshipped, I remarry, and then I come back, reinstate it, get reinstated, and it's the same thing again. And so there's that extra element of that feeling of judgment on top of it. And I had been throughout this meeting with the elders because the judicial committee that disfellowshipped you and then reinstated you keeps a close eye on you for a while after you come back. So I'd been letting them know what was happening because I am trying to be strong and seek their spiritual counsel and advice so that I can do the right thing and be a good wife and be submissive and, but also learning um, or have learned from previous experience and the counseling that I had gotten then, like actual counseling, not from the elders, had been learning to have stronger boundaries and to speak up more. So I was challenging him a little bit with the the fact that I walked away when he was calling, essentially calling me stupid and an idiot. The fact that I would voice that I gave myself a wide berth because I felt like you could hit me. So I was learning to use my voice and, and stand up for it or for myself. But then there's this whole piece, like the JW piece as well, that was coming into play for me. And when, when you get that much judgment it affects your, I don't know if it's like your self-worth, but you, you, you feel like you failed. And of course, as a JW, you're taught when things go wrong, it's, it's your fault. You're not doing enough and you need to do better and you need to study and you need to preach and, and you need to be a better wife and you need to be more submissive. And so when, when things fail in your marriage, then it's because you're not enough. And you're not good enough. And so um, it's bringing that all back up again now with this marriage. And then, you know, meeting with the elders. And of course, the advice is pray, preach, study, make sure the house is clean, make sure dinner is ready, make sure, make sure, make sure that you do all these things. And so then we get to the big finale, I guess. And so I don't even remember what all we were arguing about. Probably a combination of those few things. But he got so angry, accusing me of being controlling. To the point that he is, he tells me he's done and he can't take it anymore. 
but he's leaving. And so I had gone upstairs to the bedroom and I was laying down on the bed and he comes in and he's yelling and he starts packing his bag. As he goes to walk out of the room, the bedroom, he grabs the door and he goes to slam it, but it didn't like slam slam because it was carpet and it kind of caught, but it was the whole like motion of it. And he is down the hall, like to the stairs. And I had kind of said under my breath, slam the door quietly. I don't know how he heard me, but he came storming back in the bedroom and he's standing in the doorway. I'm still laying on the bed and he's, what did you say to me? And I was like, oh shit. And I said, nothing. Like, it's okay. It's nothing. And so he keeps yelling, what did you say to me? And I'm like, it's okay. It's nothing. And, And again, he's yelling, like, what did you say to me? And so finally I said, in a very calm way, I said, slam the door. And he's like, yeah. And he takes the door and he smashes it against the wall behind it. And part of that is also the bedroom closet. So he smashes it so hard that it bent the doorknob. So the handle, like the round kind of handle, was had a huge big dent in it. And then the whole piece of that handle close to the door was all bent. And so hard that it had knocked the closet door off of its rails at the top. And so it was just kind of hanging there by like one little piece part of it. And so he comes over to me while I'm laying on the bed and is towering over me in in a very aggressive stance with his hands up and yelling at me. I thought for sure he was going to hit me. He didn't. And so he, when he had backed off, I got up and tried to leave the room and he blocked the door and wouldn't let me out. And so, and I said to him, I said, you, you said you're going to leave. You said you're going, please just, just go. Like, just let me, or let me go. And he's yelling and angry and I'm not responding to it. Like I'm not giving tit for tat. Like I'm not meeting his energy in any way. I would just, I would step back. So he finally stops yelling and walked out of the room. And I just went into a different room and I shut the door and the door doesn't lock. And I was at the far end of the room, just sitting on the floor in a ball crying. And then he walks into that room again is yelling and yelling and yelling at me. So when he left out of that room, I got up and I went downstairs where my daughter was sleeping in her bedroom. My son wasn't home. So I went to go downstairs so that we could leave. Like, we need to get out of the house. And so I go downstairs, and he's in the laundry room, which is beside my daughter's bedroom. And again, he starts yelling at me. So at this point, my daughter's still sleeping. Her door's closed. And so as he, he's yelling at me and coming towards me, so I backed away. And just let him yell. 
and waited for him to calm down. And then when he left the laundry room, I went into my daughter's bedroom and I woke her up and I said, honey, I need you to get out. We need to go. And we left. He gave me one week to get out of the house, although it took several days for me to go back because I was, he, he went and stayed with a friend, but I was scared if I went back that he would just show up. And so I, I stayed at a friend's house and then to go back and pack up, I would get a friend to come with me. I, I didn't go by myself. And um, I had talked to the same elders that I'd been talking to all along. And I told them what happened. And he said to me, yeah, like, you need to get out for your safety and your kid's safety. You need to get out. Not even like I had a choice. Like, he gave me a week to leave. So I had a week to find another place to downsize. Because before I had moved in with him, I was living in a duplex with my kids. And so I had lots of stuff that I had brought with me. He had some stuff, but not near as much. And now I'm, I have to go to an apartment. So I have to downsize significantly. And so I have a week to pack, to downsize, to find another place, to figure out money to find another place. And so I, I, I went and I got support. There's a, a fund where I live called a fleet abuse fund. And that was the only way I could afford to do first month's rent and damage deposit in a new place, which is market rent, not the subsidized rent that I previously had. And I have a short time to do it all in. And now I have the logistics of moving. And you know, I had, I had a, a couple of close friends that were willing to support, but I needed a, a truck of some sort. And so I had asked one, one of the persons in the congregation who's in a position called a ministerial servant, which is like a step down in the hierarchy from an elder. So he had a flatbed trailer. Very kind person. And and I asked if we could use it to move. And he said, I, like, I, I'd love to help you, but I need to check with the elders to make sure it's okay. So he called the, the elder, the same elder that told me that I needed to get out for my safety and the safety of my children. And asked if it was okay to help me move. And he was told no. Anyone with special privileges, like an elder or ministerial servant, or someone that's a, a pioneer that devote that's someone who devotes extra hours in a certain amount of hours in preaching, if they helped me, they would lose their privileges and would not have as good a standing in the congregation. And I went to that elder. And I said, this is not sitting well with me. Why are you not helping? Or not, not just not helping. Like, why are you telling people they can't help? You told me that I need to get out for my safety and the safety of my kids. And now you're, you're saying that anyone who helps me is going to risk losing their good standing? And it was just, well, that's what it is. And I said, I've got people that I work with that are willing to help me. Some of them I work with that's willing to get members of their out 
different congregation from a different religion to come and help me so that I can get out safely. But I feel like I can't accept that help because how bad does that look when my own congregation, my, my brothers and sisters, my family, like we called each other brothers and sisters, won't help me. What does that do to the reputation of the congregation, which I still feel like I need to protect? He's like, do what you got to do, but we can't help you. So ultimately, I ended up getting help mostly from my kids' teenage friends from the congregation and some close friends that were really, really close to me. So I I managed to get out, and that was also the beginning of the end of the JW for me. So I, I get settled into my new place. My husband uses one of his co-workers who I also worked with because in my role at the shelter, I work closely with his co-workers as well. So one of his co-workers served me within a few weeks, maybe a month, divorce papers. And then I got settled in. I went to maybe one or two um, JW meetings after that. And then I went on a trip talked to my doctor who said, take some time off. And I was like, yeah, but like, and do what? Like, I, I'm not going to take time off and just sit at home and mope and feel bad for myself. That's not going to help me. And I talked to my supervisor about taking time off. And she was like, yeah, do it. Like, do, you cut tons of vacation time. Just use your vacation time. And so I called my supervisor on a Sunday night um, a few weeks after I had moved out and I said when you said it was okay I could just take time like are you sure she's like yeah like well like starting right now like can I not come in tomorrow (laughs) she's like yep I'll cancel your appointments and so I got in my car it was a Sunday night and Monday morning I left packed up everything Sunday Monday I leave first thing in the morning I'd always wanted to see the Grand Canyon normally this would have been pretty scary this was kind of bold for me to do but I didn't let myself think about it or talk myself out of it and I drove all I had in mind is I had always wanted to see the Grand Canyon so I ended up going through Yellowstone National Park and the Grand Canyon. I slept in my car nine out of 10 nights. I slept in my car at the Grand Canyon and got up at 4 a.m., watched the sunrise over the canyon. I drove down and did Route 66 and found this cool cave tour. I went over to California to see the Sequoia National Park. I went to the beach in California. I just drove and I listened to music and it was the most liberating experience that I've ever had to do that completely solo by myself, sleeping in my car <laughs> and, and just go, not even know where I was going. I would take, I would look at the map and route out my next two, three hours, stop, look at the map, be like, okay, it's almost like a, a coin toss. Where am I going next? And it was absolutely incredible. And so 
like 7,500 kilometers in, in 11 days <laughs> worth of incredible. And, um, which I became addicted to, by the way, and I do this all the time now. <laughs> No man will ever tell me I can't go on a solo trip and do this. But when I came back, I I was in a much better space and I you know had done this powerful experience. I loved every minute of it. I think there was one day, one day that I had myself a good cry. Um but the rest was just like, I guess, finding me and, and what I am outside of a relationship. And uh, I got back and, yeah, I might have gone to maybe another one of their JW meetings. And then I just stopped. And I never went back again. And then as far as my husband Literally, we had, I think, like maybe one or two texts of just discussing benefits or something like that or changing insurance or whatever. That was it. No contact since then, um, which is fine by me. <laughs> and then so with the, but, but the JW, they weren't okay with just letting me go. So they hadn't helped me move. So they didn't know where I lived. And I didn't update my address but my son, who was in his late teens, was still going. And they were studying with him and trying to get him to get baptized. So they get my address from my son. They're also trying to get dirt on me so that they can disfellowship me. And then they, because they were texting and calling me, and I just, I wouldn't respond. And then they show up at my my home. And I was in a secure building, and so I wouldn't let them in it just rings on my phone and i didn't i just uh ignored it and they're trying to get information about what i am up to and what i'm doing in my life so we had initially split probably in may and then in august i was dating somebody or had started dating somebody don't worry he was it didn't work out, but he was great. <laughs> he didn't, he wasn't abusive. Um, but the JWs were trying to get dirt on me. So technically I'm still married. We're separated. Divorce has been filed, but we have to wait a year for it to be able to go through. And you can't date if you're JW and you're married. So they're using my son to try and get information on me so they can disfellowship me while they're also studying with him, trying to get him to get baptized. And he's in his late teens. So that means if he gets baptized and I'm disfellowshipped, once he's out of the house, he can't talk to me anymore. If they're successful in this. So one day I get a call from one of the elder and I pick up the phone and I'm pissed because this is mama bear coming out again. You're not going to use my kid and put him in a situation where you're trying to get him baptized, but also trying to make him turn on his mom. 
And then how's he going to feel if he's the one that provided the information that got me disfellowshipped that then he then can't talk to me. And so I, I was pissed and I told them so. And then they informed me that they had someone else on the phone, that there was two of them. And with JW, you need to have two witnesses. They have a two witness rule in order to have a judicial, I guess, conviction. I don't know. But like a week later, I got a registered letter in the mail that I had been disfellowshipped. And so any family or friends or supports that I had left were gone again. It was a little different that time, though, because previously when I had been disfellowshipped and I had gone through the process of appealing, I had felt like I'd been thrown to the wolves because you think that you're literally told that they're throwing you to the wolves. Uh, And that everything outside JW is like really, really scary. And it's going to be a really, really tough, difficult life. Luckily, I had a little bit of a of a taste of forming some kind of friendships um, that regretfully I had mostly cut off or at least minimized in order to be reinstated. Uh, I feel like a really shitty person for doing that to them. But I'm also really grateful that they were very understanding and are good friends of mine now. And... Uh, yeah, so there was no fighting to get back. I, I was done. I was very done. Extremely done. Um, and I guess whatever sacrifices that ha- are, are made, which it is, when you lose family that you love and you care about and friends and supports, I don't, I don't regret it for a second. Not for a second. Assume your son didn't get baptized. My son did not get baptized. Um, Interestingly enough, he kept going for quite a while after. And then when he was, he was 18 and he had stopped going and he just kind of faded, but he wasn't baptized. Um, And then he like did his first Christmas with us, which was pretty exciting for all of us because that's, we all missed out on that. Um, so then my my daughter and I left, and we went on a, a road trip together. We have we have matching tattoos that symbolize these road trips that we do, um, and so she's got her mama's same spirit for that. And it's all about like just going and water and sunshine and freedom. So you found out that your son went on a date before you went on this road trip with your daughter. And when you come back, you're really excited to find out more about what had happened. And in this process, you also find out that he is gay as well. So tell us about this. So my daughter knew this the whole time. I did not know. So he he calls his sister over and he's like, which which picture should I show mom? And he shows me the picture of the two of them together taking a selfie. And the, the significance of this, Brandon, is he couldn't have done that as a JW. Had I stayed a JW, I would have been, I, I, I don't even want to think about 
how much of an impact that would have had on him. Whereas now I'm like, okay, when do I meet him? Right? Like nothing changes for me. You're my son. The only change is you're happy and you get to be you and you finally get to come out as who you authentically are and be supported in that as opposed to a rhetoric that he'd been taught that I taught of it not being okay and not being acceptable to God. Um, and that anyone like that had to repress it in order to, to remain in God's love. And it's not the same guy as that date, but he's in a happy partnership with another wonderful young man since 2020 for like years now. And they're amazing and they're happy and they're, and it's beautiful. And I am so grateful we are all away from that and that we all have the freedom to authentically be ourselves and not feel any shame or guilt about it. So now we're here. And here being two stories, but really one giant overarching story surrounding it, which is the JW world, the JW cult. But growing up in in that type of environment, you've dealt with just living under everyone else's control your whole entire life. And then you're free of it in some sort of way, not fully. I mean, you're going to have these thoughts that are going to creep up the old way Armageddon. You know, those things that's not going to be easy to shake, like the deprogramming of everything. And, you know, for people that grew up like that or in different types of systems, cultish kind of religious systems, um, what are your, you know, obviously there's a relationship words of wisdom, but I guess both of them combined here for both groups of people, what would you have to say to them before we leave today? I think I'll quote my ex-husband. Think for yourself. We weren't allowed to look at anything outside. In fact, a fear of it was instilled in us. And it, 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 it took years to unravel that. And, and then to finally realize that the things they were telling me not to look at, because they deemed it as apostate, as from Satan, as dangerous. When I looked, I realized my situations weren't one-off situations. From the abusive marriages, the childhood sexual assault, uh, and the way that I was treated uh, with that. We weren't allowed to look at that stuff. We were told it was lies and it wasn't true. And then you come out and you realize, oh yeah, it was true. It wasn't lies. It's just other normal human beings like myself that had similar experiences to myself that are saying enough is enough. And, and 
I don't need to hide it. I, it's not my job to protect this organization anymore. So question things and do your own research and, and don't believe something just because somebody tells you that it's true or that you're going to be punished in some way or punished by God or uh, whatever the case might be. Everybody experiences the world differently. Go see how other people experience the world and, and then decide what you want for yourself. Well, Parker, I really want to thank you for coming back here today, getting a hold of me. Growing up, you know, it's a twilight zone to me, you know, growing up in, in that type of world and then having to kind of move outside it and figure, even though you knew how the world worked on both sides, it's still a shock in the sense, to, at least to me, of like, well, who do I trust? Like, what is real? What is not real? Is this person I'm dealing with? real or not real. And that's not an easy thing. So just a big thank you for being here, sharing your story a couple times, the different types of abusers that they were and just being you. And we're happy you're out and we're happy that you work with a good, this a great organization, everyone. Should I mention the organization? Shelter Movers, everyone, sheltermovers.com. That's how I found out about Shelter Movers, through you. And I'm just happy that you are um, doing well and you're helping people and you're just a good person. And just thank you for being here with us again today. Thank you so much, Brandon. And thank you so much for having me again. And, And thank you for the shout out for Shelter Movers. Well, thank you for being our guest yet again. And if you want to be a guest like Parker was today, please do go to our website, NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. And it is a wonderful group of people on there and you can share your experiences with all of them and make friends too. So if you need support, join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. At domesticshelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number and email address and web address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you're in. Domesticshelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and organization. So if you need extra support, please do visit domesticshelters.org. And we have another friend of the show. It's Shelter Movers, and Shelter Movers can be found at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of coercive control, domestic violence, transition to a better and safer life. 
It is a volunteer organization, a donor-supported charitable organization as well. It is currently only in Canada, but they are looking to expand into the United States. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people that are getting out of course of control and domestic violence. They help you find safety. They get all of your things out of your home and into storage, all of your belongings into storage, and they can do this for your pets and livestock too. It is a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or just want to donate to them because they are a charitable organization, please go to Shelter movers.com and that is it for today's episode today's survivor story and from myself and parker we hope you have a good night